Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is your boy, Jay Rich, John Richards. I'm here with the homie, C-Last. What's up, Chris Lasseter? Chilling, bro. What's good with you? Ain't nothing, man. Look, we're on episode number 52. And we were kind of racking our brains, man, trying to figure out who we could dedicate this episode to. Who do we come up with, bro? The role player. <laughs> because Every nobody really wears 52 on, on purpose. Nobody really picks 52 on purpose, right? It's always the guy who's the blue collar lunch pail guy who comes to work and does his thing. That ancillary linebacker or the person in the paint who's the center on the team who comes in as the enforcer. And he always comes off the bench. If you get He's, 52, you're not starting. You're not a starter. You're the sixth man. Every, you're you're either the first. You come in when the first guard comes. So you're a part of the first <laughs> seven. But you never start. Ever. Never. So this episode is dedicated to those blue-collar players who don't get the recognition that they should. We this see is, you. This is for you, bro. This one is for you. The Boxing One podcast sees you. We see you. We see you, homie. Now, look, we usually do the the three-topic episode each week. That's kind of been our format, right? We try to touch on something in the sports world, something in culture, and then uh, some theological topic uh, that kind of points us to the cross. And we try to weave that throughout the show. Uh, but this show is in the beginning of 2018. And people like list, right? So we kind of brainstormed a little bit and came up with a list of 18 hopes and predictions for 2018. We thought it would be cool to share some of those here on the podcast. Now, if you want the full list, we're going to be doing a blog post on boxingonepodcast.com. You got to go over there and check it out. But we're going to pick eight of those 18 that we listed together collectively as a brain trust. And we're going to share those with you today on the podcast. So let's do this, bro. Can we do it? 18, 18 might have made the podcast a little long. That would be like if your pastor says, today I got nine points instead of three. Yeah, he got like six closes. And you sitting there like, man, I'm trying to get this fried chicken out the church, man. They trip it. <laughs> I, think I go to a PCA church. We'd be out kind of quick. I'm not even going to. Oh, yeah. We be in the nah, man, y'all. Y'all got potato salad, man. Y'all got no fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking about it don't take us long to get to whatever we about to eat. So No, I got it, man. I got it. So look, we're doing eight predictions and hopes for 2018. And we're going to start with our hopes. Okay? Because we are people of the gospel and we have a hope in Christ uh, that we hold on to, even in this broken and hurting world. So we have um, a set of hopes here that we want to share with you guys, four of them. Now, remember, we have nine of each on the website, boxingonepodcast.com, but we're going to share four of them here on the podcast. And we're going to start where both of us have kind of a clear passion for, uh, which is American Christians being that powerful demonstration of reconciliation in a very public way. What I've noticed over the past several years is that many Blacks have decided to kind of build their own tables, right? So um, I heard this on the Pastor Mike um, podcast, shout out to Pastor Mike, uh, recently where they were talking about building their own tables and getting tired of sitting at white folks' tables, 
And I would suggest that we, and this is my hope for this year, that we build a new table together as co-laborers with our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, regardless of what skin color we are, and pull up chairs to that table, not the PCA table, not any other denominational table. But I think the church is much bigger than these denominations. Like there has to be a place where reconciliation can happen uh, this year in the church. If nowhere else, the church needs to be leading the conversation on racial reconciliation. What do you think, man? Hey, I'm going to try to go quick, man, because we got eight to get through, right? But I'm passionate about this. As I was listening to you talk about the table reference, uh, one of the most beautiful things, and I'm not good with my hands, Jay Rich. I'm way more of a thinker or like to fashion myself that way. But I love things where they repurpose something, where they take a product that's shelf life had run, something like an old house, and say, hey, this was my grandma's house. It got condemned. But we were able to salvage some of the wood and make this table so that grandma's part of our new house, like grandma's memory is part of our new home. And just to see the care that those people put into it, it's not just any table, but it's a repurposed table um, made of parts that were um, just people were passionate about for one reason or another. I love projects like that. Mm. Um, Come on, Reverend. And and I was just thinking about that when you were saying that. So if I was looking at uh, my white brothers and sisters of Christ, like, hey, we don't want to be bitter towards you. Uh, what we want to do is say like, hey, like you weren't born when this divide happened, but we just need you to be aware of how that divide then affects the church now. So um, mm. we want to work mm. towards reconciliation, but it's not like we can just hit a fresh start when some of those things, um, some of those things where there's been imperialism um, still have effects in the church today that we need to undo before we can truly all sit at the same table. Um, for my black brothers and sisters who feel wounded, um, I understand. Um, but the idea of us saying that, hey, we're not sitting at a white table because that's unbiblical, we have to realize creating a black table would be just as unbiblical as a response. And so um, one of the things, like we love the deep theological parts of the gospel and the gospel is inexhaustible. Uh, We'll be we'll be in all of it for all of eternity and never exhaust it. But some parts of it are just super simple and they're not hard to grasp concepts, but they're just hard to do. And forgiveness is one of those um, that I feel like um, if I could speak to my black brothers and sisters, I, I would say um, in some cases where we're struggling with bitterness um, at some of like just the lack of awareness to some of the imperialism. Um, Yes, I understand all of that. Like, I I can amen those laments. And then where does the gospel, where does the aspect of forgiveness, forgive as Christ forgave, come into that? Um, hmm. Where does it, where do we, where do we allow that to speak to us? So, yeah, you guys, I mean, if you guys have been listening to our podcast at any point over the past 50 or so episodes, you know that we are both <laughs> passionate about this and we can probably spend an entire episode on it. Um, but it's one of our hopes for this year. We we really do hope that there's kind of this powerful demonstration of reconciliation that happens in the public space um, among American Christians, because I think that it's necessary. All right, so let, let's talk about the second hope, okay? The second one is that there's a decrease in Black blue violence in America. 
unless you've been living under a rock, you know, there's been kind of this tenuous relationship between people of color and uh, folks who are uh, charged with serving and protecting cities, the police officers. So there's been some reform, uh, like body cams and other things, but there's still work to be done. So, uh, so our hope is for continued safe encounters with police for black and brown people and, and for the safety of police officers and for the safety of police officers. I'm saying that again because they are tasked with keeping our safe street streets safe. And it's a tough task. Um, so it's not pitting one person against another. Like we really, really do want this to work. Again, that's part of that reconciliation thread that uh, Chris and I are so passionate about. So our hope is for a decrease in that black on, on, on blue violence in America. Yeah, I really don't have much to add to that. I know we have eight points to get through. I don't think there's much I can add, except it is nuanced, man. Sometimes, um, like, it's it's a situation where it wasn't handled correctly, and then we have um, other police officers who don't want to out another police officer. Um, sometimes those things are where the police officer truly felt in danger for a good reason you know uh, we don't want to discount that there actually are times where their lives were endangered um but uh we do we need to grow in that area yeah so so our next one our next hope is 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 christian hip-hop and both of us are christian hip-hop heads love christian hip-hop um and our hope for this year is that christian hip-hop continues to influence culture without being caught up in culture now our, our last episode we talked about um loso versus bdot we talked about uh, how he was going into these spaces and presenting the gospel in places where most christians wouldn't go um and we felt like that was a good thing for uh for all of society and culture um and grateful for guys like him and, and lecrae and others who are culture shapers in their craft now our hope is that they continue to shape culture without losing their gospel witness in the midst of darkness because it's very easy so so i would say that's our hope man what what would you say would would continue to uh fuel our passion and hope for for these men and women who are in spaces where people just don't necessarily want to go yeah um so at this like i'm getting older so i don't want to be um back in my day guy or get off my lawn guy but if i could speak to the current generation of Christian hip hoppers, I would say, look, hey, when I came to Christ, when Christ found me, when he opened my eyes to my sin nature and my need for a savior, and like I culturally felt like I didn't have a home, like I was starting to um, grow in the things of God, but it kind of isolated me from a lot of what I had known. And then I met these guys called the Cross Movement who were committed to the exact same doctrines I was learning, but they also showed me how to live it out in an urban context. And it was vitally important. It was it was more than just music. It was discipleship from a distance. And so um, I'm hoping that they can be like the next generation of hip hop artists. Somebody will take up that mantle and be that person for my kids um, because they're going to memorize more of your music than they ever are a sermon at their age. So I just want to make sure we don't lose Christ. I don't mind the music sounding more current. I just want to make sure Christ is in it and that we're doing discipleship from a distance, at least from some people with the platform. 
And we both agree that we'll never get with mumble rap, even in the Christian context. So you guys blaze those trails, but no mumbling. All right. <laughs> no mumble rappers. All right. Look, um, so our fourth hope uh, is that the church becomes more gospel centered than it is politically affiliated. Now, this is huge. For the past couple of years, we've kind of had this politicization of the church, right, where where things have been politicized, um, even in the church context. So our hope for uh, Christ's body is that we continue to be more gospel centered and that we realize that uh, we are citizens. Our citizenship, as Paul says, is in heaven of a different kingdom. Um, and as we have this dual citizenship, that our first love and passion should be for the gospel and God's kingdom and not for a party, Republican or Democrat. So um, so our hope is that the church becomes that bride that, that Jesus left here on the earth to be a witness, right? Right. And I think by years, typically we could say decades, dating back to the 80s with the uprise of the religious right. I think what happened increasingly in the last few elections, uh, we've had candidates that it's been hard to classify strictly as adhering to some type of Judeo-Christian ethic. And so we've had a choice as Christians to say, hey, we are going to like distance ourselves from this and say like, hey, we can't, we can't just say um, that we align with everything this person's aligns with. So we can either like stand up for the gospel or we can kind of be a revisionist and kind of make this candidate fit into that our picture of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Mm. Obviously, um, whatever you think of our current president, uh, Donald Trump, um, there were clearly things leading into the election process that any Bible-believing Christian would say, yeah, like that, like you can't, you can't align that with the gospel. So then Christians had a choice to make. And in some cases, it was just obvious that um, we were going to go with political power rather than the power of the Holy Spirit in cases. So, mm. That's good. That's good, man. Yeah. So so that's definitely our hope and our prayer. And there was four of our hopes for this year. Uh, again, we have five other ones that we're going to post on on the website, boxingonepodcast.com. So go check those out. We have nine total. And now we're going to move to our prognosticator role. Me and Chris Let's making predictions. <laughs> Negro Damas. Negro Damas is in the building right now. And we got one, two, three, four predictions that we got to run through right quick here for you guys. Uh, number one has to do with something that's happening next month that's going to be a movement, I believe. Okay. I think Black Panther, the movie, Marvel's Black Panther, is going to account for, <laughs> here's what I say, okay, at least a 10% increase in wokeness in America. Okay. Now, here's the thing about this film. Okay. It's a mostly black cast based in Africa. That's not coming to America. <laughs> you can't. You got to be excited about that. I mean, this is going to contribute to some serious Black History Month wokeness around these parts, and I'm really, really excited about it. Michael B. Jordan's in it. Uh, the dude who played all in, in all the biopics. What's his name? I forgot his name. He's the actually the lead character. So it's just it's just cool to see. Uh, a black-led film. I mean, they didn't have to release it during Black History Month. You know how they do us. But 
I'm really excited about it. And I know that it's going to um, generate some conversation. I'm sure we're going to be doing some podcast stuff on it in February. So looking forward to that, man. I think it's going to increase wokeness in America by about 10%. How am I going to measure that? I don't know. But I just think that's what's going to happen. There, there are certain times when our community gets super excited about a movie release. And uh, maybe at some point you and I will write a guide to urban movie etiquette, too, because. Oh, boy. There's Bruh. always that one guy who already seen the movie. Uh, there's a guy that's camcording the movie. Uh, there's a guy who always wants to tell you what scene's going to happen next because this is third night in a row being in there. So uh, there's some things we could do better to make that movie experience enjoyable for everybody. Oh, man, we got to do that on the episode. We got to talk about the different types of people who are in movies, especially in the urban context. Got to do that. All right, man, let's move on to your prediction. Okay, one of your your predictions for this year. And I'm going to let you talk about this UVA team. What is your prediction about this UVA basketball team? Well, um. We we lost the heart and soul of our team last year when our point guard graduated. He spent a little bit of time on the Spurs now. Um, I think he's just kind of – he's been filling in that role that Derrick Rose left on the Cavs roster. Um, and so we thought this year would be a little bit rebuilding as we um, reestablished a point guard. And we're just hoping to be top tier of the ACC. John Richards, you've been telling me forever that the SEC – uh, is football is king in SEC country. You were right. They played a great uh, championship game. It was obvious they were the best two teams in America. Yeah. Uh, but uh, hoops is ACC country. Uh, I ain't mad at you. Last two championships. And um, I think this year uh, the Cavs could be that team from the ACC. I think we could have multiple, but I think you could see two um, teams, and one of them could be the University of Virginia back in the final four so that's my prediction uh that our Cavs go ahead and knock out a one or two seed avoid michigan state which seems to be a perennial downfall for us in the tournament and then uh make that run to the final four that's a big prediction man most people look at that virginia team and look at the two seed and say oh that's my upset special (laughs) but (laughs) we'll we'll see man we'll see what happens making michigan state the seventh seed i know man see them in the second round that's Tom always Hitler a tough. Not be a seven seed. It's like, well, how is Michigan State a seven or a ten? They always get one or the other. It's kind of weird. But then nobody ever bets against Izzo. You bet not either, ever yeah. in your life. All right, so we're gonna stick with the hoops theme, right? Because we both probably agree on this. We kind of want to see a different. Our prediction is that we're going to have a different. NBA finals this year. Like there are going to be two totally different participants. Now, this is a big prediction, right? One. At least one. Most people, most people really assume that the Warriors are going to be there, right? The East, mm, not so sure. I mean, Isaiah Thomas has come back. Cavs are looking good. Those lining cats. But <laughs> he, he out there clotheslining the young man with the braids, man. The, one of the last remaining dudes with braids in the league. He out there clotheslining my man, Andrew Wiggins. Uh, but the East looks pretty competitive. Even Washington, man. They got a little bit of swagger. So You don't want to see them in the playoffs. You don't, man. Those are the Wiz kids. 
Yeah, they they are sick, man. And that would, you know, I would like to see them at least in the Eastern Conference Finals because I was not feeling Eastern Conference Finals last year at all. So um, so our prediction would be at least one. Okay, Chris says one. I want to see two. You know why? You know why? Because my boys are in the West. Uh, but I don't know about Kawhi, man. He he looks a little hurt, and he keeps getting hurt. So I just want to see a good finals and it not be a rematch. You can only watch Rocky three times before you get tired of Rocky five and six and four, right? Like a three-peat or a three-match series between the Cavs and the Warriors, at some point it's just going to get tired, even with the new players. So please, these predictions – are rock solid okay we're negro damas so we're gonna have a new team in the east we're calling it right east or the west man i mean they're they i don't know if they're really banged up or if they're just resting people because they've had such long playoff runs the last three years but i don't i just don't feel like they've been as dominant as they've been in years past so my prediction is just it won't be those two teams i don't know which one of them won't make it but obviously the Cavs have more moving pieces so I think there's going to be a new team in the East if one of them doesn't make it. Okay. All right. We'll see. Y'all heard it. Y'all heard it here. Chris made the prediction. We'll see what happens in June. Okay. Uh, speaking of predictions, this is our final one here on the podcast, but we do have a total of 18 for the year. Go check it out. Boxing1podcast.com. What we're going to close with is something that is near and dear to my heart. I'm still grieving. But I agreed to let Chris bring this up and open up the wound. Okay. So we're going to talk about the college football playoffs next year and name the four teams that each one of us believes is going to be there next year. We know what happened this year. We know Alabama's the national champions. We're very proud of my Georgia Bulldogs. I've gotten past it a little bit, still a little bit of pain there, but it was a great game. So, my predictions, I'll start with mine, okay, because one of my teams is a team you're going to know, okay, Georgia, of course, obviously. Um, I'm going to go with USC. I like what they're doing there. Ohio State is probably going to get in this year, and then I'm going to go again with Alabama. They're probably safe picks, but USC isn't so safe because Pac-12 has been a little bit incognito lately. So I want to hear your top four and don't put an ACC team in there, okay? What? We can't get no love? <laughs> no, nah, you can get a little bit. Do whatever you want to do, man. What's your four? Okay. What's your four? Obviously, like, anything can happen. But even though there was a good group of seniors with Alabama and a great group of seniors with uh, Georgia, what you saw last night was really a showcase of young guys um, as well. It was a lot of young players at key pieces – on both of those teams. So you just, you know that Georgia's running game is going to take a hit, but then you look down the stable and see like, man, their freshmen are really good running backs as well. You look at Alabama, you say, yeah, they've already had all the other pieces. And now they have a quarterback with pinpoint accuracy back there. I appreciate um, if there was a gospel moment last night, it was, I know the quarterback, which I'm not even going to try the name, bruh. Um, just Tua. Let's call him Tua. Everybody calls him Tua. Listen, um, I'm glad that he gave uh, the shout out to Christ after the game. 
but I think where we saw the most Christ likeness last night was in Hertz saying like, Hey, God has given me a lesser role in this, uh, in this game. But like, I'm going to fully embrace the role that I have as supporter on the sidelines of cheerleader for this guy who's coming to replace me and give this team a spark. So I thought that was a gospel moment. Give me Alabama, Georgia. I think uh, the Florida State team, everybody thought they were going to see this year will come back and they'll make a run through the ACC and get there if their quarterback is healthy. He comes back 100% because I think he's really good. I don't like USC. Their quarterback's leaving on top of that. I don't like the Big 12. I'm struggling to figure out who this fourth team we're going to be. No Big 10, huh? I, I could I could see Ohio State being that team. I don't think Wisconsin will ever beat them <laughs> in that championship game. Ever? Yeah, give me Ohio State. Yeah. All right, man. So, it'll be like once every 10 years they'll beat them. So you going with Florida State. I know Francois is back. It's going to be interesting, man. That's that's Haggard, interesting. Haggard's there now, too. I think interesting. the new blood. That running back is good, too. They, yeah. they have a great running back. So they were ranked number not, three when they played Alabama before he got hurt. Like they have a stable. Not a crazy prediction, but we'll see what pans out next year. And they might not want, want to put two SEC teams in. I'm just saying I like Georgia Alabama again because that was such a great game. Enjoyed it. Um, even though we came up on the short end and we got patronized by the coach of Alabama talking about they got a great ball club. Heads off to him. Get out of here, Saban. Get All right, so that, me, Saban. <laughs> so look, we did eight predictions on this show. We couldn't do all 18 of ours. Make sure you go over and check it out. Boxonlinepodcast.com. Uh, we'll do a blog post about all of them. Um, and make sure you go over to the website too and check out all our other episodes. Before we close, though, we do usually give our listeners couple of things that we're reading or listening to. We can do that really quickly uh, at the end of this episode. So, bro, what you reading, man? So you tend to work through books a little bit faster than me. And I'm still working through the exact same two books, but they're good books. And they're um, challenging me and they're helping me grow. I just don't get through them as fast. So right now, the three books that I'm going through are... Um, the Right Steph by Mike Yorkey. That's just a book, a little biography on Steph Curry's faith. Um, Re- Renewal by um, Jerome Gay. I'm finished about 50 more pages the other night, so I'm close to getting done there. And then I'm listening to an audio book on how to market books once you write them. I've written a couple books. And so um, I definitely wanted to spend some time saying in 2018, I want to grow my ability to market books, not just write them. So they're not just all sitting in my living room, bro. Getting the marketing swag on. I see you, man. All right. So my book would be Pillar of Fire, um, written by Taylor Branch, which is a biography written about America in the King years. And it goes through the history of uh, some of the churches that that King pastored, some of the previous pastors at some of those churches. Um, And it's really, really an intriguing look at um, America during the time when he started to become, coming to his own as a a young preacher uh, from Atlanta uh, whose daddy was a preacher. They called him Daddy King. And just refresh my memory on a couple of things about him not 
his name being Michael originally and changing to Martin after his daddy went to go visit Europe and gain an appreciation for Martin Luther. So it's just been really, a really good read for me. I enjoy reading history, especially black history. So Pillar of Fire by uh, Taylor Branch is a good book. He, he uh, pastored in a, a, re a relatively upper class black congregation at one point where a lot of the members had their master's degrees, if I remember reading yep. correctly. Yep, so, um, sure did. He had the, the high society uh, black folks that he was <laughs> pastoring. And uh, he had he had a penchant for using large words as well. That was one of uh, King's favorite things to do. So uh, great book, definitely would. So you saying Jesse learned it honestly? Jesse got it from King for sure. I mean, Jesse be making up words sometimes though, so he may have just added some extra. But uh, King was a very smart young man, definitely for sure. Okay, so listen. Um, I need you to give me a good closing shout out, man. Who you got for a closing shout out? I gave it to you earlier, but I just didn't want to miss it. I already knew when I watched the game that Jalen Hurts was going to be mine and not anything against uh, uh, Georgia because I was cheering for them just for you. Uh, like, I can't feel the pain the way you felt it, but I felt for you last night. But again, just that um, that moment to rather retreat or embrace that role and to see him be the first person who hugged Tua when he threw his first um, he threw his first touchdown pass, I think sports is just supposed to teach us about life. And um, he had a Christ-like response in the moment, in the moment of his own personal uh, disappointment. He could still see the bigger picture, that he was part of something bigger than himself. That was one of those John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease moments, right? Be <laughs> 30 like of them, yep. Really cool, man. It was really cool. So uh, my shout out would be to a couple of players on the other side. Um, two of my most, I mean, two of, of the people in Georgia history who I will always remember. And that's Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. Just great players on the field, but also best of friends off the field. Again, could have been a competition between those two for carries, but they became best of friends, roommates, couldn't have been more different night and day in terms of personalities and quirks, but it worked for them for their entire time at Georgia. Both of them came overcame injuries and hurdles, and they'll both be playing at the next level, even if your boy Jay Rich is not watching the NFL right now, uh, wishing them well uh, on the next level because that's what we do. We produce running backs, and I'm going to miss those guys. So shout out to Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb at the end of this episode because – I'm still hurting from that loss, but love those guys for sure. That was a tough one, man. Yeah, it was. It was. But our year goes on. The podcast goes on. And me and the homie are going to continue bringing this heat on the Boxing One podcast. So uh, you guys can go over to BoxingOnePodcast.com. Again, check out our 18 predictions for this year. Um, check out all the other podcast episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Uh, check out our Twitter at Boxing One Podcast and on Facebook. We have a group there at Boxing One Podcast. Just connect with us wherever you may be. Uh, we definitely look forward to continuing to have this conversation with you guys where we look at the intersection of the cross and culture, sports and theology, because we love doing this. And we love you guys for joining us on this. So 
Until next time, this is your boy Jay Rich and the homie C-Lass. Grace and peace to you. Peace.